If you would, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 17, and we'll start in verse 24 here in a moment. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, will Isn't that going to be a great day when we all get to heaven? Isn't that awesome? Uh, that's going to be a great day when we all get to heaven and we get to see Jesus. When we can get out of this old world and all of the mess that we have here. And all of that goes away because we're in heaven with him. That's going to be a great day. And what we sometimes do is we get so caught up in that day that we don't know how we're going to make it through this day. And so Jesus is praying, and he's saying, yeah, that's going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to that day, but I want to give you some tools. I want to give you some, some things you can use to get through this day. Because I don't want to wait until that day to have a great day. I want to have it today. Do you not? I don't want to just be in misery until I get to heaven. I want to have a little bit of heaven on earth right now. And Jesus prays that direction for you and for me there in John chapter 17. And we'll begin in verse 24. He is praying for the future believers who are not yet been saved, not yet even been born, many of them. But he's praying for you and for me who have given our heart and life to Jesus Christ. And if you've not accepted Christ yet, but uh, the Lord's working on you, when you do, this prayer applies to you as well. He prayed last week, we saw, he prayed for the unity of the believers. And now he's going to express his heart's desire as he prays for you and me a little bit more, beginning in verse 24. Two major takeaways from this passage, uh, and both of these are things that we can hang on to as we live this life and as we wait on heaven. The first is this. You have heaven in your future. You have heaven in your future. Let me show you what I mean by that. Verse 24, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Now, notice he says, Father, I want. Uh, this is not a, a prayer. He He's not asking here or praying. He, he's not saying, Lord, would you please do this? He is expressing his desire. And the word want there, it's not like our word wish. Our word wish is, I want this thing to happen. I have absolutely no control over this, but I am wishing that the stars will align and something will happen and this will take place. When we wish for something, we know that it's almost an impossibility. There's nothing we can really do about it. But in this word, it's heavier than a wish. This word is not a possibility, close to impossibility, but this is conveying the will and the desire and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And if he wills something to happen, he has the backup and the ability to make that thing happen. 
So here he is expressing his heart's desire as it concerns you and me. His heart's desire, and notice the object of this desire, it says, those you have given me. Now, we are not going to dig deeply into what this means. This is a specific term and phrase that he uses in the book of John. If you want a, a deeper dive on explaining this, go to our website, go into the sermons, go a couple of weeks back, and I deal with this topic specifically. But the bottom line is this. This giving is an appointment. It is an entrusting of a group of people to Jesus. The people we found a couple of weeks ago are all of of those who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, God has predetermined that those who give their life to Jesus will be entrusted to Jesus so that Jesus can make sure they persevere to the end. He has an assignment to keep us unto heaven. And so he is praying specifically for his desire, his will for those who have given their hearts and life to Jesus Christ. And what is his desire? that they will be with me where I am. Again, this is a phrase that he uses in other places. He is currently in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is praying there in the garden. And so, does this mean that he wants all of his followers to be with him in the garden? Well, no. When he uses this phrase, to be with me where I am, you need to go back to John chapter 14 and verse 3 and see what he's talking about when he uses that phrase. In John 14, that's where he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Where Jesus is, is heaven. That's where he is. When he says in verse 24 of John 17, that I want them who you've given me to be with me where I am, what he's saying is my desire for those who have believed in me is for them to be with me in heaven. That's his heart's desire. Now, why? to what end? Why would he want that? Keep reading. It says... So that they will see my glory, my honor, my majesty, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. The Father has given Jesus this glory. It was fulfilled as he went through and submitted himself to the cross. He went to the cross, was buried, raised on the third day. He ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God, and he now has a name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what Philippians 2 tells us. So now we have this glory. The Bible says that we currently see that glory in bits and pieces, and we reflect that glory in bits and pieces, but we will not be Behold that glory in its fullness until we are in heaven. And so his heart's desire is for us to experience the glory of Jesus Christ with him in heaven. <laughs> Think about this for a moment. Uh, when I get to heaven, there will be some people that I'm looking forward to see. People that have gone before, that I know. My dad, my grandparents, 
some others that I, that I know and that I love. I'm looking forward to seeing them. And, and once I pass and I'm in heaven, I, I think that there will be some that I'm looking forward to follow me. And I'll be waiting for them to show up, like my children and those that are, that are behind when I leave. I'm going to be looking for those people, for those that I know. There are going to be a lot of people that come through those pearly gates that while I'm glad they're in heaven... I don't really have a personal connection to them. I don't know them. So I'm not super fired up to see them. Like, I'm fired up they're there. Don't get me wrong. Like, don't hear that I have a wicked heart. Well, I do have that. But don't, don't hear that I don't want them to be in heaven, right? But there is an elevated sense of people that I knew on earth being in heaven being an awesome thing. Jesus knows everybody. He knows everybody by name and everybody by heart. And the Bible says he knows the number of hairs on their head. He knows each of you intimately. And so when someone comes through the pearly gates, Jesus gets fired up about it. Jesus is looking forward to his followers getting into heaven. His heart's desire. His heart's desire, when he said my desire and my will had nothing to do with life on earth but everything to do with us getting to heaven. I I don't really know how to adequately articulate the emotion that Jesus has and what he will feel when he sees you and me walk through the pearly gates. I don't know exactly what that will look like. However, I think it's going to look similar to what we're about to see on a video. So if y'all can turn your attentions to one of our screens, see if this might capture that emotion. Show of hands, who's crying a little bit? Let's see. There, uh-huh, there you are. Um, but but I, my, in my family, um, my nephew Caleb has just gone into the Air Force, and he's been in basic training. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm not a parent. I'm an uncle here. But I can imagine that the very moment that Caleb left the door, to go to the Air Force, his mama was ready for him to come home. I think if we got military parents in here, they could attest to that. Um, And so they look forward to that day when they're reunited as they should be. And Jesus is looking forward to that day. In fact, when he said, here's my desire for them, that's all he could think about. That's all he could think about. For us, 
really, I mean, we got a young crowd in here. Many of you, you are not in a hurry to get to heaven. But for Jesus, he can hardly wait for you to get to heaven. I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 116, verse 15. Here's what it says. Um, And this is in the CSB, which I preach out of. The death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. Uh, Let me quote the King James Version for you. It's a little more poetic. It says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. His saints are not a football team. It's not, uh, the saints here is not referring to some super Christians who have been canonized. The saints are referring to all of those who have been saved, who have given their life to Christ. And so when we are at a funeral, we are weeping because someone is leaving us. But for Jesus, when we're at a funeral of one of his saints, he is weeping with joy because that means somebody's coming to him. The Bible says, absent from the body and what? Present with the Lord. He views the death of one of his saints as the greatest day in that saint's life because that's when they get to see Jesus face to face. He is looking forward to that day. And can I tell you, knowing that that day is in my future helps me get through my today. Knowing that day is in my future helps me get through my present. Because this present, man, it's, it's nasty, isn't it? It's tough. It's hard. It's messed up. But when I keep my eyes on that day, and I know that that is his will for me to be with him, my friends, that gives me an extra level of encouragement to where I can push through whatever it is I'm dealing with today. Now, a question you may ask is, well, if Jesus desires that so much, then why doesn't he just make it happen? Just, come on. If that's what he wants so much, if that's his desire for us and his will for us and his plan for us and his hope for us, and, and that's what excites him, then why doesn't he just bring us? When we give our life to Christ, just bring us into heaven. Well, a couple of things. Number one, if everyone who gave their life to Christ immediately went to heaven, who would be left to tell a lost world about Jesus? You see, we've been given a great commission, and the great commission is not die and go to heaven. The great commission is to go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all the commanded you. And so what we have here is we are on mission. And while it is painful for that soldier to go away, and we look forward to the day to which they are finished and they can come back home and be restored to us, even though we know that we also recognize that they're on mission. They're on mission. Jesus recognizes that he is leaving disciples behind and they've got that future, but they also need some help in the present because they are in a battle. They have a mission that they are fulfilling. And so the second thing I want you to note in this text, not only do we have heaven in our future, but I want to show you, you actually have heaven in your present. You have heaven in your present. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look back in the text in verse 25. Uh, Jesus addresses the Father again, and he says, Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. Uh, notice we have a knowledge from heaven. There's a knowledge from heaven. He uses the word to know here, and this word know is not 
information that you could receive maybe in a classroom setting. This is not just an intellectual knowing. This is an experiential knowing, something that you can only know as you experience it. And so the world does not know the Father. The world is referring to lost humanity. Those that are still in our sin have not been saved. The reason that they don't know the Father is not because they're ignorant of the Father. It's because they rebel against Him and they want their sin. And so they don't know him. They don't experience him. They don't have that knowledge. But Jesus does know him. Why does Jesus know the Father? Because Jesus and the Father are one. And if Jesus knows himself, then he knows the Father. And then it says, and they, the disciples, they've come to know that you've sent me. He uses that phrase to refer to their faith and their belief. If someone believes that God sent Jesus, Jesus was sent by God, they're believing that Jesus is God, and when they're seeing that, they have an spiritual knowledge of Jesus. And if Jesus is God, if they have an spiritual knowledge of Jesus, that means they also have an spiritual knowledge of God. And so because we know Jesus, we have a knowledge from heaven. Because we know Jesus. The world doesn't know Jesus. And I'll tell you what. We all experience the world and the lost and saved community. We all experience the same heartaches. The difference. I have Jesus to help me through it. And I don't know how people make it through without Jesus. The answer is they don't. We have knowledge from heaven. Second thing is we have revelation from heaven. And notice what it says there. Verse 26, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known. His name refers to his reputation and his character. He made God known to the disciples. Well, how did he do that? Well, he did that in his person, his incarnation. When he stepped out of heaven and lived on earth, he was revealing, making manifest who God was by just being there. They saw Jesus, they saw God. But not only that, but he showed them through his word and through his teaching. As he taught and as he preached and as he shared, all the words of Jesus were pointing to the character and the name of God. Notice it says, I have done this and I will continue to do this. Jesus, after this, that very night was betrayed. Early the next morning he was tried and he was sentenced to execution. Uh, They flogged him, whipped him. They took him to Calvary, they hung him on a tree, and uh, within less than 24 hours from him praying this prayer, he was dead and in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, God raised him from the dead, he lived a few weeks on earth with his disciples, he ascended into heaven. There were two ways that he revealed himself to the disciples, his person, and then in his word. His person is now in heaven. What is left? His word. How do we know God today? We know God. He is revealed to us through his word. This is a gift from heaven. God's word. How many times, you can give testimony, show of hands, how many of you have needed God's word to get you through something in your life? How many? Look, at look. God's word is a gift to you, a heavenly gift, heaven on earth. God's word is for you. Let me give you another one. The third one is this. 
we have a love from heaven. A love from heaven. In verse 26, he says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them. This idea of love is setting oneself aside for the sake of others. It's the idea of elevating their needs above your own. God and Jesus had the perfect loving relationship in which both of them were elevating the other one and meeting their needs perfectly. They extend that love to us. And I want you to notice the text says that you, that the love you've loved me with may be in them. He wants his love in you and me. Now, how is his love in us? How does in us work? Well, a couple of ways. One, his love is received by us. He wants his love to be sent from heaven and possessed by us. That's what he wants. But also, when his love is in us, that means that we are characterized by his love, which means not only do we receive that love, but we then reflect that love to others. Our life is characterized by loving other people and ministering to them and taking care of them. And so if we are in his love, and in other words, his love is in us, that means we receive that loving relationship. But if you've received the love of Jesus, you can't help but love somebody else. Now, I would argue, if you've not received the love of Jesus, then you do not have the experience of that love to be able to pass that type of love on to other people. If someone has not received Jesus, they have a type of love that is a counterfeit love. It is not a heavenly love. This is one reason, because i got a lot of young people here today, this is one reason the Bible says do not be unequally yoked. You should not date nor marry an unbeliever because they do not have the capacity to love you like Jesus wants you to be loved. Parents, help me out here. They have not experienced and received the love of Christ, and therefore they cannot love you with that love because they don't have it. What, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what was his answer? Do you remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. What was that one? Love your neighbor as yourself. So you have the love with God here that you receive but then you have the love to others that you reflect. And so that love is a heavenly love that's been given to us to guide us through life. There is a fourth thing I want you to notice, something that is from heaven. That's a relationship from heaven. Look at the very last little phrase there, verse 26. And I may be in them. He didn't just give us knowledge. He didn't just give us revelation. He didn't just give us love. He gave us himself. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you and you are in him. And he lives in you and through you. That's why when he says, well, I'm with you even until the end of the age, it's because the Holy Spirit's with you. When he says, I will never leave you nor more forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take you from, the hand, from my hand. When he says those things, it's because he is with you. Parents know that their children are on a mission when they're in the military. Uh, they know it's tough. But there are some things that a parent can do to help them through that time to finish their tour of duty. 
now, I'm sure in some circumstances this doesn't work, but in general, a parent can send in the mail a care package. And in that care package, they may put their favorite magazine or a book or letters or if there's a non-perishable food item, they can send them that. They can send them a care package that they can receive and they can have a little bit of feeling of home and encouragement that will build up uh, their spirit and help them through that time. Jesus knows that you and I cannot come to heaven yet because we're on a mission. I don't know if many of us know that, frankly. But we are on a mission to take the gospel to the world. That's why he left us behind. And he knows that we're on a mission and that we can't come to heaven yet. But he said, you know what? I'm going to bring a little bit of heaven to them. And so we literally have heaven on earth through these gifts of this spiritual care package that he is giving you and me. And frankly... I do not know how people make it without these things. I I look at folks at a funeral who do not know Christ, and I think to myself, how is there any hope in the midst of this death without Jesus? How can there be any joy at a funeral without Jesus? How can there be any happiness at a funeral without Jesus? And the answer is, there can't be. Because if there's no Jesus, there is no hope, there is no joy, there is no happiness, there's just death. But with Jesus, there's a reason it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And here he has loved you by giving you this care package. Well, how do we wait on heaven? We don't have to. Well, I want to wait and wait till that day when we all get to heaven. What a glorious day that'll be. No, no, don't wait on that day. You got it right now because you have heaven on earth. Say, well, how can that be? Listen, heaven is a place, but heaven is not heaven because it's heaven. Heaven is heaven because that's where Jesus is. And wherever Jesus is, is heaven. And if Jesus lives in your heart, then you got a little bit of heaven on earth. My friends, you can live in that joy right now. And if you as a follower of Christ are not living in that joy of heaven right now, that's probably because you're out of fellowship with the one who brings heaven to us. And you need to get in fellowship with him. I don't know what that is. Repent from sin, change your lifestyle, surrender your life. I don't know. Many of you, you don't have heaven on earth. You've never given your life to Jesus. The only way you can have it is to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, those of us who have given our life to Christ, we recognize real quick the before and after and know exactly what it's like to have heaven on earth. And I want you to have that experience. You can give your life to Christ today. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What that means is we call out on prayer and we say, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I believe you can save me, that you died on the cross for me, was raised on the third day. I'm willing to give my life to you. Will you come into my life and save me of my sins? And the Bible, uh, Bible says that that is exactly what he'll do. He will save you. You can do that. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Let's bow our heads and hearts right now. Right where you are, you can pray. Pray in your heart to heaven and he'll hear you. And you can call out on him to save you. I just share with you how to do it. It's very simple. 
You pray and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I recognize I can't make it to heaven on my own. I believe you're God's son, that you died for me, and I want to give my life to you. I turn from my sin, and I trust in you. Will you save me? You pray that. You lift that up in your heart to God and pray that right now. Many of you, you've got this care package, but you had not opened it yet. You're not utilizing it. You're out of step with him. You're out of fellowship with Jesus. You need to get in fellowship with him. What does that require of you? Is that a recommitment to Christ? Is that joining our church? Is that confessing a sin and a habit in your life and repenting of that? I don't know what that answer is, but, but there's something that's keeping that joy away. That's not his intent. That's not his heart. That's not his desire. I invite you to respond. Maybe today you want someone to pray with you. You may have a spouse or a friend or a parent, and you want them to come kneel here at the front and pray with you. You do that during this time. Maybe you want to pray with one of our spiritual leaders here. You do that as well. I'm going to pray, and in a moment we'll stand. And if you prayed and gave your life to Christ, I invite you to come talk to one of these about it. Let them know you did it. If you're ready to join our church or make a recommitment or just need prayer, you come. Visit with one of these spiritual leaders. Our Father in heaven, we surrender this time to you to respond to your love, to your word. And I pray for those in this room who have given their life to Christ, that they would come forward. Let someone know about it so we can help them. I pray for those that need to get right with Jesus, that today would be the day they would get right. I pray you'd be honored as we respond to your word today. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.